Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clear, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We are brought to you, as always, by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. Right now, Kitchen to Shelf is dedicating resources and communications to help you weather the COVID-19 crisis. If you want to talk about ways your business can survive and grow stronger, please reach out with no obligation to the website, kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf, dot com, what you need to know to grow. I'm very happy to have with me today as my guest, Elliot Beacon. Elliot is a 30-year industry veteran. He started when he was 14, folks. He's an author and founder of TIG, a practice focused on helping emerging natural product brands grow. TIG is a customized one-to-one accelerator that positions natural product brands to raise capital, prove velocity, gain distribution, and of course, scale. Elliot is a prolific speaker and writer in our industry. You can see and hear more of his work at Food Bites, the Hirschberg Institute, Natchcom, and find his articles and publications such as the Huffington Post, Smart Brief, and at New Hope. He also bylines a weekly industry update on LinkedIn and at the TIG. GTIG website. Welcome to the program, Elliot. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Glad to have this conversation. Um, yeah, and, and this is uh, so. Uh, so the audience is, is aware in in the normal podcast we usually do about two or three weeks ahead of time, and and Elliot agreed to jump on with us actually this week um, because what we're talking about is you know news of the moment and basically wanting to address how your business out there startup or small even scaling can both survive and thrive within this this covid crisis and i couldn't think of anybody better to talk about that than than elliot so uh, um elliot we were t- talking just quickly before the show about the fact that this has been a very odd couple of weeks we both have people we work with who are doing incredible things online and e-commerce in particular. Um, and then we have some other folks that just seem to be not doing so well, or maybe even thinking about quitting the business or whatever. How, how are you looking at, at the people you're working with and, and other people you hear from? Well, I mean, <clears throat> that that's the key. It really depends on where you were in your life cycle at the moment this struck. So, you know, brands that were fortunate to have a pretty good shelf presence in, in retail and find themselves in or around a, a uh, an essential product are having you know incredible growth brick and mortar and are having incredible growth online um, products that were hoping to use you know this spring starting with you know the natural products expo in Anaheim to be their launch pad for new items or new products or really grow their presence or aren't really uh, e-commerce enabled. This is a tough time, uh, and and there's a lot of uh, worry about you know weathering this storm and making it to the other end. And, and and you know then you add on the nuances or the challenges of things like where they were in their fundraising, their access to capital in general, um, and and I think every brand and and every company has its worries right now, you know, on, on the, the, you know, the better to worry about is, is being able to keep up with demand, but that's still a concern. And there's a lot of work being done on how to allocate and how to, uh, make sure that they're doing that, uh, effectively. 
negatively, but it also puts a lot of strain on cash flow. Growth is uh, probably the most uh, uh, voracious consumer of of uh, cash than anything. So, and then you've got the other the other side who are just trying to figure out how do I make it? How do I st- how am I still standing um, right. when we reach the other side of this? The interesting thing about you know the 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 dichotomy of both growing and and or or having immense growth all of a sudden happen overnight is is that so many of the people that you and I work with are also co-manufactured or co-packed and just because you receive orders or you start cleaning out you know Amazon or Walmart.com it doesn't mean that your co-manufacturer can actually come up with the increased goods in in the meantime so it's a it's a heck of a challenge that way it is and you know and our and as a brand you need to be empathetic to what your co co-manufacturer is struggling with as well i mean they're first and foremost trying to make sure that they keep their employees healthy and safe um they're also uh, under a lot of demand from so many of their their brands uh, so it's 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 a challenging time. But to me, you know, one of the one of the uh, necessary and maybe things to to think through and to think from is empathy right now because that's where we should all start in any of these conversations. Yep. is from a position of empathy. It's really trying to understand who and what the that other person is going through and trying to to take into consideration the impact of what you're wanting to accomplish has on what they are wanting to accomplish. And, and if people do that, then there's usually better room for collaboration and a willingness to work through and solve. Uh, but, but not enough empathy go, um, is being used in my opinion on a day in day out basis. And what about the, I mean, the immediate reaction stuff now, um, you're in California. So this has been like three weeks now for you. Um, what did you start hearing from your clients and the other people you work with? And did you reach out? And, and what was the what was the sort of reaction three weeks ago? And how's that changed? Uh, you know, it's varied. I think the, the first thing you just mentioned, or one of the things you just mentioned, is about reaching out. And I would just ex- you know to encourage everybody to do this. I mean, now is the time to over communicate and to and to listen. Um, more than anything, what people need to do is be heard, cared for, valued, respected right now. Right. Um, and that is a, a role that all of us can play. Um, I, I think it's, it, you know, initially there was a lot of woe is me. Um, and as people looked at it, just kind of first in an insular form of, you know, how this was going to impact their business. Um, you know, what's been interesting to, to witness is that people have begun to um, see the broader impact of this and started to understand that that a lot of people are are suffering similarly or um, dealing with things differently. And uh, so that 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 message is toned down. It's become less myopic. But, you know, the same key concerns still register, you know, again, on the upside is just the impact of the volume, the impact the volume has and keeping up on it uh, with your co-man, with you know the pressure on logistics, with getting it received at uh, an Amazon FBA center. But it also has, uh, as mentioned, 
you know, a real big impact on working capital and cash. And so yeah. a lot of these brands that have this explosive growth, I think it's so cool. Um, the biggest challenge they're finding is they, they, they're needing to access capital rapidly in order to fund that growth. And then on, on, on the other side, it's, you know, brands that were in the middle of a, you know, a fundraising, um, uh, you know, round or, uh, we're going to be launching. Um, they're really wondering how how do those things happen right now? How how do they keep their business moving forward? Yeah, and it's it, it's um, you know ironic. I had a, an email from a client this morning who decided to basically cancel their current fundraise, um, their crowdfunding that they're doing right now because they just didn't think it was appropriate. And um, you know they can you know they can look at it down the road, but for them, it was a crowdfund that was, you know, it was pretty important as, as most of them are. So how yeah. do you work with, I mean, if it, in, 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 there's so much uncertainty, but with the, the things that we know, at least at this point, how do you talk to people about finance and if they've run their numbers, which is one of the things we talked about last week is you've got to know, you've got to know your numbers. You've got to be realistic. Um, what happens if there's a shortfall or what do you, what do you do if you think you need financing to get through this next period of time? Yeah, well, I thought your advice last week was spot on. I mean, it all starts with really understanding um, your numbers and, and also making sure that you're doing everything you can be to be as capital efficient as possible. So you start looking at, at all of the discretionary things that, that are in the budget and and really question whether their efficacy is going to be there and whether it is a nice to have or a need to have. And then at that point, what I'm suggesting for any company is to really take a look at this in a kind of a six to nine month chunk and determine what they think they're going to need to bridge this time. You know, this next six to nine month, hopefully will return to a little bit more normalcy and certainty in the marketplace but but until that takes place um you have to also acknowledge if you're out there raising that there's going to be an uncertainty premium to that round there just is um if i'm an investor and i'm sitting here trying to decide about making an investment now i'm i i have to think through the 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 increased risk that uncertainty places on that investment. Right. And if I'm going to pull the trigger on that investment, I'm going to want some type of uncertainty premium. So, I mean, specifically what we're recommending is take a look at that six to nine months. First of all, make sure that you leverage and understand fully what this cares act means for your business and, and, and take, take, you know, advantage of whatever you can there. Um, and then be creative and smart. Get as, as small a financing round as you possibly can. Look, look at alternative financing, you know, obviously um, the right kind of debt, uh, potentially AR or PO financing. Right. Um, you know, don't do things, in my opinion, don't do things that put your future and personal financial um, well-being at risk uh, because – uh, it's very hard to recover from from that, and it also puts a lot of other stressors on a family. And then, if you are going to raise capital, if you're going to raise equity capital, be creative and be um, forthcoming with those investors. I mean, have a candid conversation. Let them know. Listen, we accept the reality 
there's going to be an uncertainty premium. We, you know, therefore we're raising less money because we know this money will be more dilutive and more costly than it would have been three or four weeks ago. But we need this money, obviously, to get to the other side. And then look at all the terms. If you're raising on a convertible note, you know, decrease your value cap, increase your discount, increase your uh, your you know interest rate. Sure. Um, you might want to even potentially offer follow on rights or follow on rights at a discount. So that's one way. Um, you know, there are other, you know, kind of creative out of the box funding mechanisms, non-dilutive uh, could be, you know, finding an investor who wants to put money in and gets paid back on a royalty with a, a multiple of X of the initial principal paid in. You know, now's the time to, to approach this uh, creatively. Uh, because the goal needs to be just to get to the other side, get right. to the other side. Right. Survive uh, first. With, with the, right. Yep. Sur survive. Yep. That's it. In the, in the planning process. So I've been working with some, some folks um, basically looking at three different plans or variations of the plan. And the first one was the, the optimist's viewpoint, which was basically, well, we'll kind of be back to something nearing normal in three to four months, which I'm doubting. The realistic view, which is exactly what you mentioned, six to nine months, we'll kind of at least know better where we are. And then the pessimistic viewpoint, which I think should be prepared for, and that is, is that this isn't really going to come back economy-wise and everything else until probably sometime in 2021. Um, we'll, we'll see. But planning for all three of those scenarios at least gives you some some room and some stuff to be to be flexible. I, I, I think that's spot on. And I think you need to stress test your model to all those scenarios. And I think it also de really de depends on where your primary drivers were. I mean, if you were uh, if you were a product that was a, a primary primarily an out of home, you know, um, working, maybe your product was doing a lot, lot of its business in corporate campuses or, or colleges and universities or yes. even on premise dining, you know, that's likely going to be longer than if you were just in retail and you know retail although taxed with the initial rush of the quote-unquote panic buying um you know the volumes there continue to put stress on the system because you know, you know as a nation what 50 percent of our food consumption was out of home and that's obviously dwindled to a very very small percentage and if you were e-com it's the other way around and and you have to wonder if there's going to be a um, you know, a, a pullback to your volume there. So uh, I think stressing your model to know depends because again, we talk, a lot of people talk about the worst case uh, stress test on a model and that is obviously very important, but so is the best case because growth is the most voracious consumer of cash and, and you better be prepared for that as well as your whole supply chain better be prepared to, to support it. So Stress testing your model on both sides is is time well spent right now. And we were we were looking with some some people who are um, who do a number of farmers markets in, in as part of their um, you know strategy, and all of those have been basically just pushed off. Uh, one is doing something sort of a drive by thing out of a parking lot or whatever. But on the other hand, we were able to fashion some promotions and stuff to be able to do in the e-commerce sector. 
uh, as well as to reach out like to the customer, to the consumer and say, hey, we, we understand you won't be going to the farmer's market this weekend. However, um, we are offering, you know, either you know, free shipping or whatever to try to make up something to at least just, okay, if you sold 200 a, a week at the, at the market, 200 units, you can get to 200 units a week this other way. And so we, we see, see what happens there. Um, I wonder if in fact, with co-manufacturers and even with warehousing and fulfillment, um, there's going to be a lot of blowback on people who don't, aren't able to pay the rent if you will, uh, it's April 1st, right, coming up. Um, and therefore, they either make demands or possibly they shut down. Uh, uh, some fulfillment places have actually closed because, again, they're in California or in New York and they can't they can't work. Um, but that's sort of out of the control of, you know, the, the folks who are actually the, the producers, the brands. Um, Right. What what can we do from a planning standpoint to begin? Do we begin looking for alternate production capabilities, alternate fulfillment facilities? How do we best approach that? Well, I mean, there, first of all, there's a few things. One is you should be having these conversations, if you haven't already, um, with everybody involved in your supply line to understand um, where they are and what stressors are on their business. Again, both stressors of volume and stressors of Right. Of economics and be clear about it so that you have at least eyes open as to what that that plan is I mean there's some common logic saying if you have you know credit lines draw down on them and use it to produce you know while you have access to to, to do that if you you know are still in the position that your outlets are demanding product you know if you're e-com enabled or if you're already pretty entrenched in retail it's not a bad time necessarily to draw down those lines and and leverage them to get as much production as you can so that you're not you know as as um, uh, hand to mouth uh, with your co-manufacturer and 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 should they you know wind up with any challenges um, so it's really there's no uh, you know I would I would not suggest a specific recipe for success other than um, not being an ostrich and putting your head in the sand and making sure that you're looking up and down your your supply chain to make sure you're identifying where those potential breakpoints are and trying to you know have as many conversations or understand where those people are in that um, and in this moment in time and what their view of the future is like, you and you I certainly don't want to be caught. Uh, you bet. And you and I talked briefly about sort of the, the three buckets of where businesses are now. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. Um, I really, you know, as an observer of this as well, and somebody in the, in also in the middle of it, it's kind of a strange thing because I'm, I, I feel very much because we are, we are, we're all, impacted by this and all of our businesses are impacted by this so you know we're participating in it at the same time as we're advising others on how to um, move through it but I, I see a consistent pattern three kind of buckets of the way people are reacting um, the the first is you know I think of all three um, the least um, productive and the least beneficial and that is um, kind of that 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 root, you know, kind of retreat mindset. 
I'm going to pull back everything. I'm just going to curl up into a fetal position and, and, you know, just try to stay as, as tight and as close into this as I can and, and pray it goes away quickly. Um, because really then you are, um, foregoing any control that you have. You're, right. you're giving up any, any ownership of the outcome and you are simply going to be, um, swept away by, by the winds of change. And I think that's risky. Um, the other, and, and I see it's a pretty big bucket are just people who are paralyzed. They're, they're inundated every day as we all are with all the things that they're being told about what is going on. And, and there's so much information. There's so much con contradicting information that they're paralyzed. They just don't know what to do. So they, they're, they're not unwilling to take action. They're just incapable of taking action because uh, they don't, they can't discern what action to take. And then there's the third group who, who smell opportunity in this, who see opportunity amidst the chaos. And they, they are looking to use this time to take could be giant leaps and pivoting their business. Um, it could be just small iterative steps, you know, just to move things or, or to take, take some action. And, and I can't implore people more so to be in this third bucket. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to be wild or carefree or you, or, or super, uh, uh, risk, right. uh, oriented do need to move forward. I mean, take, take, uh, identify things that you can do, um, to take some steps for your business and, and work towards that. Because if you do, you'll be so much further ahead, uh, when this all is over, um, than those in the, the other two buckets and you are well positioned to, to capture them. You know, part of what, what we all have to be doing right now is to really live to fight another day is, you know, this may not be a growth moment in time or a growth year unless you're one of those lucky essential items. Um, but this can be a great time to really be preparing your business to make that next big leap forward. Uh, and you should be looking for ways to do that, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there's there's time again, you know, if you're if you're not having to concentrate on the everyday finance issues and stuff, this is a great time for. Uh, new product development, um, you know, looking at maybe new channels um, to get your products into. Um, if, again, you're not developed yet in e-commerce, to certainly start, you know, although Amazon's not accepting any new stuff at this point, you can still get in line. You can still get the, the, the homework done. Um, same thing with, you know, distributors and, you know, or, or reaching out to brokers even, you know, same thing is, is, is if you're, if you're thinking about looking at something new and right now things are a little quiet, uh, the telephone has uh, made, made a big comeback <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, no people, <laughs> they'll, they'll talk to you. They they really, they, they will. And it's, it's, it's good. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Elliot, I think the thing of the the, the, the doomsday scenarios is, is some people can tend to be that way anyway, but I think most of most of the folks, if you're an entrepreneur, you you know, if you're an entrepreneur in a doomsday, you get out of it pretty quickly because you just can't take it. Um, and the rest of them are people who are saying, OK, I'm going to do something and try to, you know, come out stronger on the other side. Or there is that group in the middle that kind of really don't know what to do. And that's really what we're trying to, to talk to them about is, you know, yes, do things to protect your business, but you can also do things to 
uh, to grow your business. And on the protection side, one of the things I w- wanted to talk about was uh, there are basically two things. One is if if you're a little overextended or you have been in terms of your expenses, um, there was a, a, a an advisor who used to tell me, you know, you cut back until it hurts and then you cut just a little more. Um, and you, you don't want to get to a situation where you don't have staff to do the work or whatever. But if, if you need and you know you've needed beforehand to maybe, you know, move to a, a lower rent facility or if you have employees that, you know, kind of marginal, whatever, you know, now is the time to to deal with that. And then in, in terms of yeah. in terms of selling, be creative with your terms, you know, um, you know, use forward buying, use you know, reverse forward buying so that you're basically, you you know, with forward buying, you can sell now, you get paid now, but you're going to deliver as that person needs them. Um, the reverse buying, you sell now, you deliver now, but you get paid later. So you you take your terms out. If they're 30 or 45, you take them out to 60 or, or 90 if you can. And then contract pricing is, is also something good. We agree to, uh, we agree to a price today uh, based on, however, whatever the volume is going to be. And we're going to agree to hold that price, but we know that you're really not going to consummate the sale until, you know, we come out of this until maybe three, four months down the road. So there's all kinds of ways to get, you know, get creative about that. Um, and, and, and you should, I mean, and, and you should, and it should be collaborative, right? Because again, using empathy, your suppliers, your vendors, um, they're going through the same kind of thing. And what you don't want to do is, you know, use this just like you wouldn't want to be the recipient of people being opportunistic. You want to end, you know, come out of this with better, stronger partnerships on, on both ends of your business than you started. But you should be having these conversations. Um, everybody should. I mean, one of the things just going back to to one of your earlier points, it's it's not it's not the virus and it's not the economy that's going to kill the majority of the businesses that go under. It's uh, if you succumb to it, that is almost a a universal truth that it's a it's a business killer. And so your job as a founder as an entrepreneur is not to succumb to that fear. And fortunately, most of the most um, you know entrepreneurs by nature are are more fear tolerant than the average people. <laughs> oh yes, less uh, risk averse. That's what yes. they live with it. Yes. They, well, you know, I always say it's it's not so much risk they're less risk adverse, they're just risk perverse, you know. Yeah. Um they see risk in inaction while many of us see risk in taking in, in you know in taking action. So it's just the opposite but I mean I think that that's that's one and I also you know my mantra um, which you know I, I jokingly have been saying because since I'm working at home now and my wife is almost always in earshot she's heard me say this a thousand times but you know while the masses hoard toilet paper the innovators you know install bidets I mean that's what's called for right now right uh, more than anything is creative problem solving you know and and being somebody who takes a different uh, um, turn, you know, when everybody else is going left, you go right. Um, and that's, you know, what needs to happen more so than not. And again, I'm, I'm, you know, an optimist when it comes to this, but I just believe in entrepreneurs and, and entrepreneurs by nature are those people who take the path less worn and are better suited to persevere here. But, 
you have to do it. You have to take action. And again, I think all your points are, are spot on. And um, But those conversations have to take place. You can't just think about them. You've got to take action. Well, one thing clearly, um, I mean, I think there's going to be several major societal game changes come out of this. Um, but for those of us who've been involved in e-commerce, in the food and beverage space, this is like the ultimate game changer, right? Because it it's affecting an entire population in the way that they, I mean, there's people are still going out to stores. And so granted, there's, you know, no problem. But what was kind of a slow chipping away at retail um, now accelerates just exponentially. How are your clients dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, I I believe wholeheartedly. I mean, I felt like this, we were going to eventually reach a tipping point. And in, in, in fact, I'm working on an article right now uh, that I'm I'm calling um, uh, the future arrived a bit early because that's, I think, all that happened. <laughs> I, I like mean, it. Yeah. The, the, the uh, you know, uh, bricks meets clicks. I uh, did a study and, and in 2019 that said that 6.3% of brokers are sold online and they anticipated it to be around seven in 2020. I, I'm pretty certain we've, uh, eclipsed that by a long shot already. Um, and, and I would also feel confident in, in this assumption that disproportionately, um, that those sales are coming from emerging product brands. So, you know, if you're listening and you're not, um, uh, uh, e-com enabled, or even if you're just treating your e-com sales as, um, you know, as something on the back burner, um, now is the time to pivot. Now is the time to recognize that this is here to stay. I think it's for the best, quite frankly. I mean, I think one of the challenges that um, so many earlier brands face is that it is so expensive to drive discovery and trial at retail. It's just, you know, and, and the amount of capital that's needed to do it is pretty dilutive along the re- along the journey. And I really believe that that one thing that's going to come out of this is some of the gambling money is going to be off the table. You know, uh, VCs are going to be looking for businesses with even more traction and stronger fundamentals. Um, and that means, you know, the, the emerging brands are just going to have to be more capital efficient and focused on better and more um, effective ways to drive discovery and trial. And I think that uh, is it lends itself very, very well to e-com. And. Um, and, and I think, you know, the other thing we're seeing is that both refrigerated and frozen, the economics and the uh, logistics are rapidly catching up. So, you know, I don't think we're that far away that you could you could you know, that you couldn't be viable as a as a, uh, you know, refrigerator frozen on e-com as well. So uh, it excites me. It excites me because it's a, it, it's a democratized platform. I mean, unlike retail where where what consumers find is, you know, available for purchase is filtered by, you know, buyers and distributors and available shelf space. Uh, on e-com, any brand has just as much chance of another as being discovered. <laughs> and it really comes down to how effective they are in building their tribe and talking to the people that they're trying um, to, you know, to, to get to consume their products. It's, it's you know, it, it's just a much... Um, more um, fair. You know, it's a fair playing field. It's just a fair playing field. 
Yeah, so. and, and it, it it gives an, an opportunity to put yourself up against, if you will, the big boys and still, you know, do well. In in the planning process last week with a client that I have who's experiencing incredible volumes on Amazon right now, we were looking at, and because of Amazon, you have the ability to do this, is we we're looking at, is this people who are hoarding, right, this stuff for, for like later consumption, whatever. And there were some people who were buying 20 units, you know, 15 units, whatever. But the vast majority were onesies and twosies, just like it normally would be. And even the ones that were buying a few more or whatever, the, the, what we were looking at was, okay, so we have this big spike now. Does that mean that in July and August, we're basically going to have a trough that's exactly the same, right? And two things. One is we didn't think so because a consumable is just that. It's, it's in the house, and, and this, this happens to be a good, healthy snacking item. So guess what? You're in the house with the kids. Oh, my God, they want something to eat. Here, have this, right? So whatever they're buying is going to get used up faster than it would under normal circumstances. I'm pretty confident, right? And, and then the second thing is that, you know, as, as that happens, um, they also will begin to get used to the fact that this stuff comes from the Amazon truck or the prime truck or whatever that pulls up. It's not something I go to the store yep. and get right. Which in, in the particular case, they're not really at retail in any form, but they're number one on Amazon. So, um, you know, th this is like, this is going to work. And, and in the end, whenever the end is, or I don't know if it's an end as much as it's basically just a return to a new normal is so many more people will have experienced buying that product, and many other products online that they're simply not going to go back to buying it at retail. There's there's really no reason. I mean, maybe price. Yeah, or, but... or, buying, it, or buying it less frequently at retail. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I think this is here to stay for a lot of reasons. One, I don't, by the way, I don't see a trough at all because, um, you know, the other thing we have to recognize is that 50% of food consumption and beverage consumption was done out of the house. And with the exception of takeaway and, and DoorDash and Grubhub, et cetera, oh, yeah. you know, that's that's all but gone, and so that I mean just by by that alone we're consuming let's 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 call ten percent is now out of home instead of fifty so that means you know forty percent of our food that we were eating somewhere else we're now we're buying for our homes right now so you know I don't think there's a there, there's a a cliff coming um, but I do think just in general there's there's a lot of seed change that's going to come out of this from a behavior standpoint I mean online i think ecom is built to stay i think that's where people will find new products that's what they'll go to do their treasure hunting um that's where they feel you know will feel comfortable um getting product and they'll love that luxury and they'll love not having to make as many trips to the market um i i also think that you know we are we are changing just the way work is being done in this space um, and that we're going to see a lot more virtual meetings and Zoom meetings. So, I, I mean, there's some real unique societal changes that may come out of this um, that brands need to start thinking through. Oh, yes. So that they're ahead of it. And and it, it includes, you know, their sales strategy. It includes their, their physical office strategy. It includes their talent acquisition strategy. I mean, one of the things we talked about is, you know, those brands that are looking to, you know, um, pull back and retreat, but, 
But those brands that are really looking forward are also thinking, my gosh, there's going to be some really, really good talent that shakes loose during this. And if I can be bold and if I can, you know, really think through it, I may be able to, you know, grab somebody for our team or multiple people for our team that can really help us um, accelerate our growth. And and if I'm willing to pull that trigger now. So I just think there's there's so many variables to be watching. And if you're thinking about it from the mindset of I'm looking for the opportunity amidst the chaos. And, you know, and that can be huge opportunity or small opportunity. But if your mindset is I'm looking for the opportunity amidst the chaos, I am not going to fall prey to fear and I'm going to be smart and pragmatic, but I'm still going to be opportunistic in a good way. You have the opportunity as an entrepreneur to leapfrog your competition right now. You right. just do. Yes. Uh, yep. Out of the you know the greatest periods of of advancement come on the heels of disruption. You know, and 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 I, the other thing I'm I'm admonishing all entrepreneurs to think about is that. that the last big, you know, uh, upswing in entrepreneurship and startups in this space came after, you know, as we were emerging from the Great Recession, Recession. Yep. because as people are, people are, you know, uh, rocked out of their nests, out of their comfort zone, uh, many of them confront the reality that they were really unfulfilled and they weren't doing what they wanted to, but they just didn't take the the risk of stepping into entrepreneurship because they were afraid to give up the security. But once that band-aid security is ripped off, now suddenly they're starting to think about why not? You know, right. <laughs> why not start something on my own? So there's there's a whole nother wave of entrepreneurs behind the heels of the ones that are in this business now. So that's why, you know, um, you know, I'm I would just say seize this moment. Look for the opportunity amidst the chaos. That's my you know, that that's that's how I would attack this moment in time. To totally agree. Um, you know, moving moving forward and and being the one who uh, you know keeps your head when those about you are losing theirs usually comes out ahead. Elliot, have you had a chance to talk to clients and partners and stuff about the CARES Act and and what the government has proposed and is it as good as it looks in terms of? You know, I mean, un, not only just unemployment, but also the loans, the SBDC loans, and all of that. Have you had a chance to chat with people about that and how they feel? I have, and actually, we've, we've put a couple of groups together to to better understand that because I'm hardly an expert in it, and, and I think nobody really is yet at this stage because it's so new. Um, but but you know, from from everything that I see, um, it it is impactful and it can be and. Again, you know, I, you know, would encourage any business, not just, you know, um, brands in this space, but any business to make sure that they fully understand what that act means for their specific business. Um, that includes, you know, yours, mine, everybody's, um, because I, I do think that this storm is going to last for a little bit. And I think that we need to be as proactive as we can first for ourselves so that we can be there for those that we serve. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, certainly some of the initial things that I've read and learned and talked to some of the folks who know far more than I do about it. Um, everybody feels very, very, uh, bullish about the impact it can have. I know, you know, from the preservation alone, that's, that's a huge way to keep your team intact and, 
Yep. And be able to to move forward. In, in one of the unknowns we have, Elliot, is you know we've talked about obviously the, the the impact on our friends who are in the hospitality and restaurant business and stuff, and there certainly has been another impact on the retail grocery side, especially um, in delivery and all that. But is or I guess are you looking at the fact that we're now by by kind of switching from us going to the store to e-commerce and e-commerce fulfillment that there begins to become a crunch in e-commerce fulfillment. So I have a person I work with whose fulfillment center is in New York and it's now closed. So they have stock, right? They, they, they can do sales online, but they can't fulfill them. How, how is that going to affect people going down the road? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you and I have been in this, you know, both for a very long time. Um, and, and the pendulum swings. It always does. And sometimes, like in moments like this, it's swinging at a frenzied pace. Uh, in others, it doesn't. Uh, it's a little bit more uh, relaxed. But, I mean, that's what's happening right now. The pendulum is just swinging. It'll find its equilibrium again. Um, and that equilibrium is going to look different. So as the pendulum swings right now to this big, big uptick towards e-com, it's putting stress all the way through that. And of course, again, you know, there's workforce stress. They're just, they're, the availability of workforce, the people are able to come into work. Um, they're going to be, you know, a migration, I think, of jobs from sector to sector. I mean, what Amazon's trying to quickly hire 100,000 people. I think they have 500,000 um, in their workforce in oh, the yeah. US. So that's yep. a significant increase in their total workforce. You know, that doesn't happen overnight. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's just going to be elements of that. And, I, and I've been a believer for, for a, a long, long time that a brand should always have an omni-channel presence. I mean, yes. for this reason, it just Absolutely. makes it more resilient. Yep. It makes them more, um, you know, uh, prepared to weather the pendulum, uh, the pendulum swing. But I do feel that that one aspect that isn't going to swing back the other way is that, you know, more and more of our products will be sold online. And again, I still think that that if you're the younger the brand you are, the less developed you are in retail, the more that that e-com is going to be the place. And then, you know, alternative channels uh, when they open back up because they they have great discovery, you know, opportunities when you can get your product close closer to where the problem you're solving is uh, most pronounced or the need you're feeling most acute, you just increase significantly your chances of being discovered. So alternative channels like, you know, uh, corporate campuses, travel, college, um, you know, micro markets, places micro markets. Like that yeah. where, where people, you know, work, live, play, um, the, that's going to be another big growth sector for early brands and retail is going to be more replenishment. But, um, you know, over the next 60, 90, 120 days, we're going to see, you know, swings and then bottlenecks and, and constriction and then swings the other way. And, uh, it's going to be a wild ride for a while. I think, I think the, uh, this morning, the folks from specialty food association published, um, some notes from the, our, our friends at Nielsen, right? The big data people, and Nielsen was indicating that this phase we're going through right now is the what they're calling restricted living, which is basically very, very few shopping trips, 
um, you know, maybe some pricing of certain items or the or the lack of certain items. Of course, toilet paper is the first one that comes up, but um, that seems to be getting solved fairly well um, at, at this point. And let's cross our fingers and hope that, you know, continues. But their, the big thing was that they're the next. What's the next? And the next they called the, their new normal, which was people return kind of their daily routines and work and everything, but they have a totally renewed consciousness about health. And this is going to cause permanent shifts in supply chains, as we've talked about already, the use of e-commerce we've talked about already, but also hygiene practices that, in fact, people are going to be scared about viruses in the future and pandemics in the future because uh, I don't think there's too many people around that survived Spanish flu, um, probably none. But this is the first type of episode that's happened to us and our consumer consumers in society. And um, they're going to be doing things to avoid it in the future, don't you think? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, again, the pendulum, right? I mean, people yeah. were already swinging that way. Consumer preference was already, cons- you know, swinging the way where where there was a, you know, increased awareness around all things health and well-being, whether that was, you know, per- you know personal care, hygiene, all the way through, with, you know, the, the food that you put in you and the concept of Ayurvedic and food as medicine, this is just exacerbating that growth and it's not going to go away. And, and I think people are going to be, and I think this is, this is a wonderful thing. Actually, people are going to be more, uh, they're going to be better owners of their own health. Um, and they're going to be, um, you know, certainly accepting responsibility for the quality and the, the vibrancy of their own immune system. We've seen, you know, huge you know upswings and things around gut health prior to this that's only going to grow any product that has a health and wellness message is the is you know doing extraordinarily well right now especially on e-com oh sure um so yeah i mean i think there's this was one of those kind of things i was telling to my telling this to my youngest son who's 21 and i said you know we're kind of this is the closest in your lifetime to wartime living and we just have a heightened awareness of our own frailty and and because of that we're going to our our buying behaviors are going to in my opinion are going to reflect that acknowledgement in a way that we become better stewards or or you know more effective owners of our own health and well-being yeah more more conscientious i think for sure well you know in a normal program elliot we usually close it off by by asking guests to um, a piece of advice or one word of, of counsel or whatever out to folks um, and and not intended to put anybody on the spot, but I'm actually going to relieve you of that because I'd like, I'd like to go back to something you mentioned before and see if you would just um, elaborate a little bit on it. And, and that's the word empathy, what we need right now. Yeah. You- um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a champion of it every day and all the time because I, I believe empathy as a marketer is a, a superpower. It's also, you know, just it's just a good thing to possess and, and a good way to think. Um, but now more so than ever, um, if you can put yourself, if you can look through the lens of the person you're trying to reach and really understand how this is impacting them. What are their fears? What are their, you know, aspirations? Um, 
where do they, you know, need to be spending their time and effort and talk to them in that frame. And whether that's your marketing um, to your consumers, whether that's outreach even to your buyers or um, to sure. investors, distributors, uh, or just yep. everybody, yeah, or just or just you know communication to your peers to come from a position of empathy right now to 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 understand that everybody is is going through this in some way. Um, that is, you know, a, the ground is no longer stable under, stable under their feet. Um, it's just, it, you know, it's just going to, to do wonders for your business. It's going to do wonders for you as an individual. And, and, um, it, you know, it's, it sounds you know lovely and all altruistic, but it's just being smart. It's just being an astute business person to, to, to lean into that right now. And, and, uh, because, because we see a lot of, um, tone deaf, uh, non empathetic, uh, yes. outreach right now. And, and that is, a, you know, a very, very quick to, um, you know, alienate yourself or, or destroy a relationship. So really take the time, slow down because the, the, the gut reaction sometimes is when you're scared and you're scared about your business is to push is to push, you know, to promote, to do whatever, and that actually may work against you. So if you start with empathy and, and slow yourself down, you're you're less likely to make a misstep in that way. Yep, that is absolutely great counsel. Appreciate it. Well, thanks so much, Elliot, for taking the time to be with us today. And folks, if you want to see more of, of Elliot's writing and learn more about what TIG Group does, it's tigbrands.com it's t-i-g-b-r-a-n-d-s.com and it's elliot at tigbrands.com if you want to reach out to him and uh, if while you're at the website sign up for uh elliot's uh elliot's writing that comes out every week um you can also catch it on linkedin by the way if you uh, look up elliot or myself on linkedin you can you can get a uh a pathway to that. I always look, always look forward to it. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for the time. And we're going to have you back to talk about a, like a normal business development program on the other side of this. Is that okay? Well, I look, I look forward to that. Yeah. I look forward to that, but thank, thanks for ha having me on and, and I'm glad we're doing this and hopefully, you know, you know, producing some good, uh, counsel for folks. And, you know, I, I you've just done a great job in this kind of, uh, scary time of being a good voice and, 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 uh, I appreciate it as well. And thanks you, you the same. And thanks to all of you, by the way, for joining us today on the next level brands podcast podcast is brought to you today by kitchen to shelf, the educational arm of next level brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're concerned about how your business is going to weather the COVID crisis or would like more information on the tips and topics discussed today, please visit the website at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.